It can be really hard for us to relax at night. We're always thinking about covering crime. But the good news is our wonderful new sponsor, Via, has a terrific product that helps us unwind. Via Hemp has a wide range of terrific gummies of both the THC and THC-free varieties. They can help you with focus, recovery, sleep, creativity, or just plain enjoyment. These products legally ship to all 50 states. I really liked Zen in particular. This is a yummy blueberry option that lets you catch a chill sleep with help from CBN and CBD. It's really helped me turn off my brain and settle down for the night. I also got a shout out Flow State. It helped me feel energized throughout the day. Like not to brag, but I got a lot done. I'm talking about doing several interviews and editing a whole show from start to finish, not to mention jumping on some of the latest filings in the cases we cover. It really made me feel sharp and ready to tackle any challenge. I couldn't recommend this more. Via has so many great gummy options to choose from. Everything from guava berry low dose that allows you to microdose THC to the chill-inducing Delta 9 gummy dreams. Head to viahemp.com and use code MSHEET to receive 15% off and one free sample of their award-winning gummies. That's viahemp.com and use code MSHEET at checkout. Please support our show and tell them we sent you. Enhance your every day with Via Hemp. Again, if you're 21 and over, you can get 15% off plus a free pack of award-winning gummies with our exclusive code, msheet at viahemp.com. That's V-I-I-A-H-E-M-P dot com. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Content warning. This episode contains discussion of three murders, as well as upsetting topics like sexual crimes against children. We've done a few deep dives on Tony Klein's work history at Chrysler. Today, we'll be taking a similar tack only we won't be looking at Tony Klein himself. We're going to talk about four other people connected to Chrysler. All four are linked with heinous offenses. Two are currently incarcerated, one pending trial. Two are free today. Three committed sexual crimes against children. The other is accused of murdering an 18-year-old. The reason we're talking about these men is not to allude to some vast conspiracy of Chrysler co-workers engaging in violent crimes. It's tempting to draw connections. That's pretty much what the human brain is designed to do. But we think it's better to avoid that temptation in favor of actual facts. 
Jumping to conclusions is seldom a good idea in crime reporting and analysis. Because, and we like to strongly stress this part, we do not see any indications that any of these four are even connected to Tony Klein or the Delphi murders. We think it's unlikely that any of them are involved in what happened to the girls on the trail on February 13, 2017. As we've said in the past, our sources tell us that Tony Klein is being looked at for the murders of Abby Williams and Libby German. That is still the case. But we think it's a good idea to cover these four men all the same. People who follow the case are curious about them, and they're asking questions. We feel it's always helpful to shine a light directly on a situation rather than just allowing rumors and conjecture to spread. So we might as well take all of this on the record and share exactly what we have found. Before we get started, though, please don't think for a second that our reporting is part of some attempt to bash Chrysler, Stellantis, or its employees who work in Kokomo. You have to keep the context in mind. This is a workforce of 6,200 strong, according to the Stellantis website. That's about as big as the undergraduate population of the university I attended. Much love to my alma mater, but I'm sure some of my fellow students were creeps or even sexual predators. Just like it wouldn't be fair to judge me for attending an introduction to epidemiology survey course with a guy who turned out to be dangerous, it's not fair to judge other Chrysler workers for happening to share a plant with a handful of people who did horrible things. When you have a massive group, you're going to get some people doing bad stuff, and you can't judge everybody based on that, or even necessarily extrapolate much about the company culture. With that being said, let's get down to talking about Flint Farmer, Jimmy Duvall, Michael French, and Tim Marshall. My name is Anya Kane. And I'm Kevin Greenlee. And this is The Murder Sheet, a weekly true crime podcast. Anya and I connected over the Burger Chef murders, a 1978 unsolved case involving the killings of four young restaurant employees. Now we're looking to track restaurant homicides. To help us understand the patterns of these crimes, we created a spreadsheet of nearly a thousand eatery-related killings, the Murder Sheet. We'll be drawing on that data throughout Season 1 to give you a deep dive into undercovered crimes. We don't just rely on skimming the headlines. We dive into these cases to bring you in-depth coverage. We're the Murder Sheet, and this is The Delphi Murders, The Others at Chrysler. Flint Farmer is the first man we'll be talking about. He's a man from Kokomo, Indiana, who was born back in 1966. The name may sound familiar to you. Farmer recently appeared in the news after he was arrested on charges relating to the murder of a young woman. 
but that story goes all the way back to the fall of 2016. In October of that year, Karina McClurkin was an 18-year-old living in Kokomo. She was beloved by her family and friends. But Karina was facing some problems. Karina's grandmother, Jerry, told Dateline that she hung out with a, quote, older crowd. Like so many people, she also struggled with substance abuse. Still, she was so young, she had the rest of her life to figure things out. But Karina never got that chance. Because on October 11, 2016, she fell out of touch with everyone in her life. Anya and I will take turns reading straight from the probable cause affidavit in this case. The police heavily redacted this document to remove witness names and other details before putting it on my case. There were also entire paragraphs that have been whited out. So things might get a little confusing here or there. We've substituted words like the witness or the drug dealer for some of the redactions to help clarify matters. For the record, we have no idea who any of these people actually are. Also, we reached out to Farmer's attorney for comment and have not yet heard back. On October 13, 2016, Marlana Smith reported her daughter, Karina S. McClurkin, as a missing person. Marlana advised officers she last saw Karina S. McClurkin on October 11, 2016. On October 14, 2016, Marlana advised officers that Karina S. McClurkin may be in danger and possibly with Flint Vincent Farmer at 1039 South Washington, Kokomo, Indiana. Officers responded to 1039 South Washington and contacted Flint Vincent Farmer. Flint Vincent Farmer allowed officers to search for Karina S. McClurkin, and she was not located in the apartment. Flint Vincent Farmer told officers that he saw Karina S. McClurkin near the alley that day, but she never came in his apartment. Flint Vincent Farmer told officers Karina S. McClurkin was with a female in a white car and wanted money, but he turned her away. Karina's friend was interviewed, and she advised that she drove Karina S. McClurkin to Flint Vincent Farmer's home on October 11, 2016. She told officers that she waited in the alley for Karina S. McClurkin while she went to the front of the apartment house. She stated that after about 15 minutes of waiting, Karina S. McClurkin returned giving her a thumbs up that she was okay. She said the purpose was to drop Karina S. McClurkin off to stay at Flint Vincent Farmer's residence on this night. On October 17, 2016, at approximately 9.45 p.m., Sergeant John Webster received a call from Marlana Smith regarding her daughter's missing person report. She reported that she just recorded a phone conversation with somebody. She reports that Flint Vincent Farmer passed out and Karina S. McClurkin got into Flint Vincent Farmer's safe, stealing approximately $600 from the safe. Marlana advised that she recorded this phone conversation. We will note that over the years, Karina's family was critical of Kokomo police and the media for not paying enough attention to this case. It's important, therefore, to note that Karina McClurkin was biracial. Missing white woman syndrome, or the tendency of the media ecosystem to focus coverage on missing or murdered women who are white and well-off, unfortunately continues to be a problem for families like Karina's. But the affidavit gives more details on what police did do. 
Namely, Sergeant John Webster followed up on some of that information from Karina's mother. On October 29, 2016, Sergeant Webster met with a witness. The witness reported that he was at a residence on October 11, 2016. The witness stated that he was hanging out with Flint Vincent Farmer between the times of 5 p.m. to 2 a.m. The witness reports that Karina S. McClurkin, the missing girl, was also present. He described Karina S. McClurkin as a biracial female wearing black shoes, darker black and colored jeans with holes, possibly wearing a muscle shirt, a hoodie, and her hair was pulled back. The witness stated she came to the residence at about 8 p.m. Sergeant Webster showed the witness a photograph of Karina S. McClurkin, and he confirmed that this was the female he had seen. The witness reported that Flint Vincent Farmer and Karina S. McClurkin left the first apartment, eventually going over to Flint Vincent Farmer's apartment. The witness believes that they went over to... Redacted. The witness goes on to report that she left the apartment shortly after. The witness reports that they ordered pizza from Jim's Pizza, located on Home Avenue. He also stated later that night that Flint Vincent Farmer bought over $60 worth of food that included four strombolis and a supreme pizza around 10 p.m. He further states that Karina S. McClurkin had returned. He overheard Karina S. McClurkin talking to Flint Vincent Farmer, stating that she was afraid and that she wanted to stay with him. The witness reported that Flint Vincent Farmer agreed, and they both eventually returned to Farmer's apartment. His apartment is located on the south side of the first floor. The witness reported leaving the apartment around 2 a.m. Before he left, he and another person was sitting on the couch. His back was against an interior wall that was shared with Flint Vincent Farmer's apartment. He stated he heard what he thought were sounds that resembled people wrestling coming from Flint Vincent Farmer's apartment. He reported that he told someone to go check on the girl, Karina S. McClurkin, because he thought something happened to her. He stated that that person told him that Flint Vincent Farmer was crushing Xanox bars. Another witness provided the same information, but added she heard what she described as a female's voice moaning like she was being hurt. She described that this noise was coming from Flint Vincent Farmer's apartment. Later that day, Sergeant Webster went to 1039 South Washington to speak to a witness. Flint Vincent Farmer exited his apartment and again denied Karina S. McClurkin ever entered his apartment. He also stated he never ordered pizza that night. Sergeant Webster had already confirmed with Jim's Pizza that an order was placed and delivered that night. Sergeant Webster then contacted the other witnesses who did not remember Karina S. McClurkin coming inside the apartment and stated that he saw her at the side of the house near a garage. They did admit to getting pizza that night from Jim's Pizza. Sergeant Webster reviewed the phone records for Karina S. McClurkin. The records show the last phone conversation between Karina S. McClurkin and Flint Vincent Farmer occurred on October 11, 2016, at 2214 minutes, 45 seconds. That's about 14 minutes after 10 p.m. The next big break would come about in November. On November 1st, 2016, Sergeant Webster spoke with a witness who dealt drugs. She reported that she sold peach in color Xanax pills to Flint Vincent Farmer 
in the early evening hours of October 10th or 11th. She stated that Karina S. McClurkin was with Flint Vincent Farmer during this drug transaction. This drug deal occurred on the parking lot of the Village Pantry located at Markland and Washington Street. She said that she had known Flint Vincent Farmer since the summer of 2016 and that she has known Karina S. McClurkin, her mother and grandmother, for some time. She reported that she sold too many of her pills to Flint Vincent Farmer, and she eventually called him back during the early morning hours to purchase back some of the Xanax that she had sold to him. She advised that Flint Vincent Farmer agreed to sell them back to her, and she drove to his apartment located on Washington Street. She reported that she knocked on the front door to his apartment. Karina S. McClurkin came to the front door, very irate, and asked her, What do you fucking want? She told Karina S. McClurkin that she was there to buy back some of the Xanax. According to her, Flint stated that he was sorry because they didn't have any Xanax to sell back. She told Sergeant Webster that Flint Vincent Farmer was standing behind Karina S. McClurkin. She advised that Karina S. McClurkin's hair was pulled back and that she was wearing shorts. She advised that Karina S. McClurkin was very upset. On November 1, 2016, Detective Banish interviewed another witness who advised that on Tuesday, October 11, 2016, between 10.30 p.m. and 11 p.m., they met with Flint Vincent Farmer and Karina S. McClurkin at the Village Pantry located at Washington Street and Markland Avenue. This person stated that the female drug dealer sold Flint Vincent Farmer some Xanax. They stated that Flint Vincent Farmer went into the village pantry to use the ATM because he needed to get money to pay them. They also advised that the ATM did not work at Village Pantry, so Flint Vincent Farmer walked to the speedway across the street and used the ATM. They stated that Flint Vincent Farmer returned to the village pantry and paid the female drug dealer for the drugs. They watched Flint purchase a large amount of food, which totaled approximately $50. They stated that Flint Vincent Farmer purchased sandwiches, frozen pizzas, drinks, and candy. These witnesses provided the statements independent of one another's presence. Detective Banish reviewed the cameras at the village pantry. The time stamp on the camera was off by 14 hours. Detective Cat was also present while they viewed and obtained copies of the video. The video confirms what both witnesses stated. Flint Vincent Farmer and Karina S. McClurkin were at the village pantry at approximately 10 p.m. on October 11, 2016. During the time, Flint Vincent Farmer is observed going across the street toward the Speedway gas station. He returns, and Flint Vincent Farmer, Karina S. McClurkin, and the other witnesses enter the store. Flint Vincent Farmer makes a purchase of what appears to be several sandwiches and other food items. They all three leave the store at approximately 10.32 p.m. Detective Cat obtained copies of this video. Detective Banish also confirmed by the Speedway gas station video that Flint Vincent Farmer did enter the store and use the ATM. Copies of the video surveillance are being maintained by KPD. In November 2016, Farmer landed in Howard County Jail. That will become important later. But nothing seemed to happen at the time until 2017, when a truly disturbing new angle in the story came to light. On February 15, 2017, Sergeant John Webster and Captain Banish had another opportunity to speak to the witness at the police station. They asked the witness again if the witness remembered Karina S. McClurkin over at her residence on October 11, 2016. 
The witness advised that the witness remembered seeing her only once at her apartment. The witness was asked if the witness remembered going into the kitchen area with Flint Vincent Farmer and Karina S. McClurkin to take some drugs. The witness denied that happened. The witness advised this time that the witness saw a person covered up and lying on Flint Vincent Farmer's floor during the morning hours of October 12, 2016. Remember how we mentioned that Farmer landed in jail in November of 2016? On November 10, 2016, the local sheriff arrested Farmer for dealing in Schedule Four controlled substances. His bond was set at $75,000 and he was hauled to jail. He seemingly remained imprisoned until October 5, 2017. Keep that date in mind for later. On October 5, 2017, Farmer and the court came to a plea agreement. He was sentenced to 913 days in jail. At that point, he'd been incarcerated for nearly a year, so 365 days were considered executed, and the rest of the time was suspended for probation. Given that it's apparent that police suspected Farmer of Karina's disappearance, this fact flies in the face of the true crime maxim that police and courts always try to throw the book at suspected murderers when they're charged with other crimes. Anyways, Farmer's time spent incarcerated ended up being quite important. Sergeant Webster began looking into some of the data collected from that stint. On July 11, 2018, Sergeant Webster began reviewing phone calls made by Flint Vincent Farmer while he was incarcerated in the Howard County Jail, dating back to November of 2016. The calls were from November 12, 2016 to November 18, 2016. On one call, Flint Vincent Farmer calls a witness. During the phone call, Flint Vincent Farmer sounds nervous and scared, telling the witness that they are really hammering him. Flint Vincent Farmer tells the witness to turn on the news because he believes that they found the body of the missing girl. Flint Vincent Farmer then says that they are trying to get him for everything. Flint Vincent Farmer goes on and says that they are making me out, then pauses and says that the whole world is going crazy. Flint Vincent Farmer goes on telling the witness that he needs to get a hold of somebody else, embrace himself, and it's about to get really ugly. Flint Vincent Farmer called another person on November 18, 2016. During the call, Flint Vincent Farmer told this person to keep checking redacted and make sure another person is okay. Flint Vincent Farmer told this witness to tell another person to stay away from the apartment because they found that girl and they're going to try to do something crazy to try and hang him up. Flint Vincent Farmer then told her that he didn't do anything wrong. Flint Vincent Farmer also called another person on November 18, 2016. This person told Flint Vincent Farmer that somebody had called Detective House and confirmed that they did not locate the missing girl. During the phone call, this person tells Flint Vincent Farmer to keep his mouth shut and not say anything. Multiple paragraphs here are redacted. We come back with another person saying that Flint Vincent Farmer told her to keep her fucking mouth shut about what she saw. Flint Vincent Farmer also told another person that they would not find a body. This person did say that it was late at night at this point and said again that Flint Vincent Farmer told her to keep her mouth shut or she will end up with her, referring to Karina S. McClurkin. 
She asked Flint Vincent Farmer what he meant. Redacted. On November 18, 2016, Flint Farmer made several phone calls while he was incarcerated at the Howard County Jail. Three of the calls went to one person. Flint Vincent Farmer called Redacted. They have a lengthy conversation, and during that conversation, Flint Vincent Farmer says, Um, I'm assuming at the apartment. That was bogus what was going on. Redacted called me, um, Detective House that's on the case, and they haven't, they have not found her. Flint Vincent Farmer said, So you keep your chin up and you hold your, hold your ground because all they're trying to do is break you. And you're stronger than that. Try to get you to think stuff that's not true. Prior to ending the lengthy conversation with this person, the person told Flint Vincent Farmer, Yeah, stick to your guns because it's all crap. That's what it all is. This detective house told somebody that because he called up there and he raised Kane over it. He said he can't. House said he can't control the other guys, other detectives, on what they're doing, but it's wrong. So you should stick to your guns. Keep your mouth shut. Those people are, all they're doing is saying shit, excuse me, Lord, to get, to cut a deal to get out of jail. That's all they're doing. The investigators began talking to witnesses once more. Investigators continued to speak to witnesses about this case. In August of 2021, an additional statement was obtained from a witness. During this statement, the witness advised that she went over to the house on South Washington late at night. Investigators have also re-interviewed another witness. They were present the last night Karina S. McClurkin was seen. The initial statements that they provided have not changed. They insist that Karina S. McClurkin left that apartment and went out with Flint Vincent Farmer to his apartment. They stated Flint Vincent Farmer was making comments about getting lucky tonight before he left. They both provided statements that they heard a struggle next door and what sounded like a fight. They also reported hearing a person gasping or whimpering. They believed it was Karina S. McClurkin being hurt. There's so much that's been removed from this document that it's hard to know exactly what brings us to 2022. But somehow, investigators got a lead on a specific property. On June 30th, 2022, Alicia Kaisler, KPD Lab, and the affiant, Lieutenant Richard J. Benzinger, met with a representative from CRM Properties at 1039 South Washington Street, Kokomo, Indiana. Luminol was used to check the detached garage for any evidence that may be related to this case. Luminol is a water-based solution capable of detecting blood that has been diluted up to 10,000 times. Once it comes in contact with blood, it reacts by causing the blood to fluoresce a pale blue color. This chemical has long been used by forensic investigators to search for and document imperceptible trace amounts of blood. A positive luminol test was indicated on the floor just inside the walkthrough service door. Three areas were noted and samples were collected. Those samples have been provided to the Indiana State Police Lab for additional testing. On July 8, 2022, a witness told investigators she and Karina were very close. She advised that she and Karina talked every day and would always know where each other were. Since October of 2016, she has not received any information from Karina that would give her any hope that Karina is still alive. She believes Karina is deceased. On Monday, July 18, 2022, police announced that Flint Farmer was arrested at his house by the Kokomo Police Department. 
Judge Brant Perry of the Howard Superior Court denied him bond, so he's currently incarcerated. It is not clear at this point when Farmer's trial will occur. It certainly sounds like police have discovered one of the crime scenes related to Karina's murder. In a press conference on July 20th, 2022, Kokomo Police Chief Doug Stout said that investigators found skeletal remains in a rural part of Miami County as part of their investigation into McClurkin's disappearance. Those remains have not yet been confirmed to be Karina's, but it sounds like the police are pretty confident on this one. Here's what we know about how Farmer is linked to Chrysler. The man's Facebook indicated that he worked at the Kokomo Transmission Plant and that he also lived in Kokomo. We've also heard from Chrysler workers that he did work there and may have been some kind of supervisor. Nobody we've talked to knew him personally, though. In the interest of full disclosure, we'd heard Karina's name mentioned as having a possible link with Delphi. Not by anyone who had any investigative insight, though, just as speculation because of the Klein's connection to Kokomo, Indiana. But it sounds like Farmer had some social connection to Karina, one that her mother even told police about way back in 2017. It sounds like Karina spent a lot of time with him, that she trusted him, and that he abused that trust in the worst possible way. What's more, it doesn't seem like Farmer was a free man on February 13, 2017, the date upon which Abby and Libby were murdered. He was arrested in November 2016 and then came to a plea agreement in October 2017. Unless we're mistaken, that seems to indicate that he was accounted for on the day of the murders of Abby and Libby. Our feeling is that with Farmer now behind bars, facing what looks like a pretty strong case against him, Karina McClurkin's case likely has no connection whatsoever to Delphi or the Kleins. Of course, we don't have all the information about Farmer. If it turned out that he knew the Kleins, then that would certainly be interesting, although not conclusive by itself. But if not, then we will just stress that, as we've said again and again, there are a lot of bad guys out there. A weight loss journey can feel like a lonely struggle. But it doesn't have to be. For so many of us, lifestyle changes like deciding to lose weight, adopting a nutritious diet and taking up fun exercises are all about putting our own health and wellness first. But it can be really hard to know where to begin or how to keep the weight off once we've seen some progress. Quick fixes like soup diets and juice cleanses are unsustainable. There's a much better way to embark on this journey that over 200,000 people have already chosen. We're talking about the Roe Body Program. Here's how it works. Roe gives you access to one of the most popular weight loss shots on the market. Their Roe Body Program then sets up a comprehensive weight loss program tailored to your specific lifestyle, health status, and goals. In addition to the weekly shot, you get one-on-one coaching with a registered nurse. That can help you adopt and stick with lifestyle changes like exercise routines and nutritious diets. It's a comprehensive program that sees participants lose 15 to 20% of their weight in a year on average. But the real benefit is that you keep that weight off. This is weight loss at its most sustainable. With Roe, the average weight loss is 15 to 20% of your weight in one year, in conjunction with healthy lifestyle changes. BMI and other eligibility criteria apply. Go to roco slash msheet. Sign up today and you'll pay just $99 for your first month and $145 a month after that. Medication costs are separate. 
Go to row.co slash msheet. That's ro.co slash msheet. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Next up, let's discuss Jimmy Duvall. He is another man who resided in Kokomo. He was born in 1963. We've heard a lot of chatter that this is in fact the Chrysler employee the FBI wanted to interview back in February of 2017. We don't have full confirmation on that, It's just the rumor you hear a lot among Chrysler employees. We feel that it's fair to note this workplace rumor without necessarily putting a ton of weight on it. We did confirm with a few Chrysler sources that Duvall did in fact work there. But we don't have much information on what he was like. Some people told us he was creepy, but this may have just been a case of his reputation preceding him. Looking at Duval's history, we feel that if the FBI did want to talk to him, they had a very good reason. This is one person of interest where we certainly understand why he's captured so much attention. The crime he went away for was awful. A 1989 court filing you can find on Justia details Duval's crime against a child. He ended up serving a long sentence for an attack on an 11-year-old girl. He pretended to be a cop to get her into his vehicle and proceeded to attempt to rape her and cut her throat, stomach, and wrists. That attack lasted three and a half hours. He'd done something similar to a child four months prior in September 1986. For that incident, he was convicted of confinement and sentenced to probation. One particular passage from the 1989 filing stands out to us. This was written by the judge in this case. Kevin will read it aloud. The court does find as a mitigating factor that the defendant has pled guilty and that he has had a history of behavior disorders. However, in Howard Circuit Court 6850, we had a very similar offense. And Jimmy, at that time you came in, you told me, I'm getting counseling, I'm being helped. This will never happen again. Your family, your mother, if I remember right, came in. There were various people, and, Judge, this is never going to happen again. I've learned my lesson. I'm going to get help, you know. I'm 23, 24 years old at that point, and this is going to be all right. And what happens? I take your word. I take the psychologist's word. I take the recommendations, and I let you out on probation, and you turn around, and you commit the same type of offense, only worse on an 11-year-old girl. Now, there's just no excuse for that, and I find no mitigating factor whatsoever for this offense. Now, there's just no excuse to it. 
you had your opportunity. I find that the fact, the age of the girl, that you were on probation at the time that you committed the offense, and the very nature of the offense itself is so heinous that all aggravating factors totally outweigh any possible mitigating factors in this case. The seriousness of the crime cannot be outweighed. I would concur with Dr. Bowman that you probably need psychological assistance. However, the needs of society, the heinousness of this offense, would indicate that the only proper place for you is the Indiana Department of Corrections, and this court now sentences you to the Indiana Department of Corrections for a term of 45 years, and you're to be given credit for 386 days having been served in the Howard County Jail. Obviously, this is a heinous crime. From the looks of it, Duvall spent some of his time away filing motions indicating that he was innocent and being mistreated by the system. As the judge said, Duvall was sentenced to 45 years on February 17, 1988. If he'd served that entire term, he wouldn't have been allowed out until 2033. But to our surprise... Duval became eligible for release in 2007. He seemingly got out around then because he apparently filed for bankruptcy in 2009. It's not clear to us when he started working at Chrysler. We've seen online speculation that he's left that job and moved somewhere else since the murders, but we're not able to confirm that. We did try to reach out to Duval for this episode, but have not heard back. So... Even though his name has been out there in the Delphi online community for some time, he's actually the biggest enigma. There's a lot of chatter on the web that we don't feel comfortable repeating because we have not confirmed it ourselves. We would love to know more about him. But at this point, we have to assume that Duval's presence in that workplace was just a coincidence. And the interest that the FBI had in talking to him could have just been due diligence on the part of law enforcement running down violent child predators in the area. We do wonder, however, if they had some reason to suspect a Chrysler connection. But, as we have said, Tony Klein is the current focus of the investigation, not Duval. The one thing that gives us pause is that investigators told Kagan Klein that their access to his Dropbox resulted in the largest child sexual abuse materials investigation in Indiana history. Could more individuals be involved with that, with the murders, and with the child sexual abuse materials ring? Possibly. The third man we'll talk about is named Michael French. He was a Noblesville resident who is now 45 years old. Our sources tell us that he worked both at Chrysler's Tipton plant and possibly at the Indiana Transmission Plant in Kokomo for a time. Back in June 2016, He was convicted of charges around child molestation and sentenced to 95 years. The Herald Bulletin reported that he showed no remorse for the crimes and seemed, quote, indifferent to the charges. The Tipton County Sheriff's Department arrested French on October 13, 2015, after one of his victims came forward. The victims were repeatedly molested by French, largely in Alexandria and Elwood. It's a horrific case. But the fact that he was incarcerated well before the murders of Abby and Libby seems to indicate that there's no link there either. The last person we'll speak about today is someone you probably have not heard of. As far as we can tell, he's not received much media scrutiny. 
we're talking about a man named Timothy Marshall. He's now around 62 years old and is from Logansport, Indiana. He worked in assembly at Chrysler. Our sources tell us that this means that he and Tony Klein likely did not interact directly on the job. A detective named Darren Odier led the investigation into Marshall, which found that on March 7, 2016, Marshall did distribute and receive child sexual abuse materials. When you read the criminal complaint against him, you'll find that the images that he was looking at were absolutely disgusting. On May 5, 2016, investigators served a search warrant at Marshall's address. I'll read from the criminal complaint filed by Odier now. I read Marshall his Miranda rights, which he acknowledged understanding. In a recorded statement, Marshall admitted using his HP laptop computer, which he indicated was by the couch in the back room, to search for and download images and videos of child pornography. Marshall admitted to using a peer-to-peer program to obtain child pornography and adult pornography. Marshall stated he has used multiple programs including Ares, Vuz, and Frostwire, all peer-to-peer programs, to search for, download, and possess child pornography. Marshall stated he has a folder on the desktop of his laptop computer entitled New Folder 2, and the subfolders of that folder contain child pornography. When describing the folder structure of a laptop computer found in the residence, Marshall correctly identified the location and contents of folders containing child pornography. A preliminary forensic exam of the computer found the above-described folder with over a thousand images of child pornography. The search terms used by Marshall on Aries include PTHC, which this affiant knows to mean preteen hardcore, 10YO, which this affiant knows to mean 10 years old, anal, and bibcam. Marshall said that he was the only person accessing the specific files that contained child pornography on this computer and that any child pornography on his computer was put there by Marshall. This affiant showed Marshall multiple images that I downloaded from Marshall's shared Aries files. Marshall did not specifically identify most of them, but Marshall stated that they were similar to what Marshall has downloaded. Marshall did admit to possessing an image of a known victim that corresponded to one of the files I downloaded from Marshall. Marshall stated that he had been searching and downloading child pornography probably since the internet started. Marshall used the internet to download the files of child pornography and to distribute these files through file sharing networks. Marshall was arrested on child sexual abuse materials charges. According to court documents, He faced 5 to 20 years in prison and a fine of a quarter million dollars. From what we can tell, he's since been let out of prison. He'll be under supervised release for the rest of his life. We reached out to Marshall's attorney and did not hear back. Marshall's aptitude for distributing child sexual abuse materials online in some ways seems to match the accusations against Kagan Klein who is said to have done so through his Anthony Schatz account and other online aliases. But unfortunately, there are a lot of people who commit such heinous crimes. It's worth noting that Marshall was taken into custody in 2016, nearly a full year before the Delphi murders. And there are others with disturbing histories working at the Chrysler plants in Indiana, of course. 
other men with criminal records who have been involved in sexual offenses committed against children. Using public databases, we found six in total who had been convicted for a range of crimes, including sexual violence against children and possession of child sexual abuse materials. They each served out their sentence and now work at Chrysler. We wondered if six was a high number. For a control, we also looked up the number of sexual offenders working at a different Chrysler plant. The Toledo Assembly Complex in Toledo employs 6,290 people. We discovered five registered sexual offenders working there. So that sounds like a pretty similar number. And it's worth saying that these men, and one woman in the case of Toledo, represent a tiny, tiny fraction of the total workforce. So what's the upshot of all this? Can we draw any conclusions about the Delphi case? The answer is no. We often maintain that, in crime reporting, the most boring answer is usually the correct answer. The boring answer here is that these cases, all of them, are completely unrelated. There are a lot of bad people out there. It's important to be aware of that and to acknowledge that crimes against children are not some aberration. They're heinous acts committed by people you work with, people you live near. Thanks very much to all our helpful sources. If you have information about Tony or Keg and Klein, please email abbyandlibbytip at caco.shrf.com or call the tip line at 765-822-3535. You can also share your story with us by emailing murdersheet at gmail.com. We protect our sources, but go to the police first. For this episode, our coverage relied on reporting from Fox 59, the Herald Bulletin, the Logansport Pharaohs Tribune, and NBC. To our surprise, we've gotten a number of requests from people saying they would like a way to help financially support our efforts with the show. So, if you are interested, we are relaunching a Patreon page, which you can find at www.patreon.com slash murdersheet. Join us there for two live video question and answer sessions each month. You can ask us anything, suggest new cases for us to look at, or even offer ideas for new leads for us to follow. If Patreon is not your thing, you can buy us a coffee at www.buymeacoffee.com slash murdersheet. Thanks for the interest. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Murder Sheet. As always, thanks to Kevin Tyler Greenlee, who composed the music for The Murder Sheet, and who you can find on the web at kevintg.com. To keep up with the latest on The Murder Sheet, please make sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Murder Sheet, and on Facebook at MSheet Podcast, or by searching Murder Sheet. If you enjoy listening to The Murder Sheet, please leave us a five-star review to help us gain more exposure. And send tips, suggestions, and feedback to murdersheet at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening. Audible is the destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Allow your imagination to be piqued 
by stories that are brought to life through captivating sound design, eerie soundscapes, and dynamic performances. As an Audible member, you'll be able to keep your heart rate up month after month because you can choose one title a month to keep from the entire catalog, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. If you're in the mood for a shocking psychological thriller, check out None of This is True by Lisa Jewell. Embrace brand new exclusive thrillers from bestselling authors who are guaranteed to keep you gripped. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500. That's audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500.